So remember when the pandemic hit, federal government got right to work, getting money into the hands of Canadians for all kinds of reasons, forced to stay home from work, all the rest of that, right? The principle at the time was we'll pay it out now and we'll ask questions later. We know we're going to end up getting ripped off. We know that. People will collect when they shouldn't. Oh, the smoke. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be a long show. Uh, nonetheless, we, um, we, they said, we know we're gonna get ripped off in some instances. People will collect when they shouldn't. But in the interest of making sure that, that nobody gets left out in the cold here, we'll worry about that later. We'll make sure we get the money back. And they've been working on getting that money back for, for quite a while now, more than a year. Uh, and they'll likely spend many more years working on it too. But as they try to collect, there's a growing number of Canadians who don't think they've done anything wrong. And they're saying, forget it. We'll take the government to court if we have to to prove we've done nothing wrong. There's hundreds of them. Think of that, though. You want to talk about David versus Goliath legal battles. That would certainly fit the bill. So how are they making out? We're going to chat with Jennifer Leach, a law professor and the executive director of the National Self-Represented Litigants Project. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you for having me. So we know there's about a thousand people so far that have decided to oh. to go to court, right? Take the government to court. Are you surprised? I don't think that would cross my mind necessarily. Well, I was a little surprised. Um, I was contacted by a reporter about two or three weeks ago, and he advised that there were about a thousand cases uh, that he was aware of. And I was quite surprised by that and, and pleasantly surprised to hear that some of those self-represented litigants had been successful in their judicial review cases with the CRA. Yeah, I find that a little surprising, too. I mean, the old saying is you can't fight City Hall, right? Well, this is fighting the federal government. I mean, that's an even bigger mismatch, isn't it? Well, it is. And, and what we tend to talk about at the project that I work with is that um, it's really an unfair, usually a bit of an unfair fight in most legal contexts, whether it's the federal government or a private party, when they're up against an individual who's not a lawyer and representing themselves in court. The, the deck tends to be stacked against those individuals. They haven't gone to law school and they don't tend to know. They have to learn themselves both the procedure and the substantive law. Um, and, you know, lawyers take a long time to do that. So, yes, generally speaking, it's it's a tough, tough battle. It sure is. And, and like you say, I mean, a, a lot of these people self-representing, that, that, that makes it even tougher. I mean, that's... The old saying is right. Don't, don't, the 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 lawyer with um, themselves for a client is a fool, or whatever that old saying is. Like that, that's never a good idea, right? I can imagine it's even more of a oh, maybe not a good idea here. Well, see, the issue though is that that a lot of people don't appreciate is lawyers are very expensive. And yeah, for the absolutely. Canadian, it is very difficult to afford um, a lawyer to represent you in a civil matter. So put criminal aside for a second. In a civil matter um, that sort of gets stretched out, prolonged through the courts, um, most people can't afford to sustain that. So the choice is not really a legitimate one. It's it's made of the fact that they can't afford to retain counsel. And most people, if they could afford to retain a lawyer, would do so. Um, like you say, some of them are winning, which are incredibly long odds. But, you know, does this put us in a situation here where, I don't know. I mean, we have universal health care, and I don't think we can get into a universal legal care, but I, I start to think, at least in an instance where you're taking on 
the federal government? Do we need to do something around trying to level that playing field somewhat? So your average Canadian in a battle like this does have some kind of help. Absolutely. I mean, I, obviously, we do have things like legal, legal aid, aid yeah. which is available for mostly criminal contexts, and we understand why that's important, because people's liberties, liberty are at stake, and they are, again, up against uh, the, the government in terms of their prosecution. But there are lots of situations in the civil context where the interests or the rights at play are really significant and we should think about how we can support individuals who are in those cases so for instance also family law custody if you are you know in a custody dispute and you risk losing your children but you're representing yourself that's a a pretty scary place to be um housing losing housing um, has a profound effect on people's lives, and yet that falls under generally a civil category for which we don't fund legal representation. But that doesn't mean everybody needs a full lawyer. There's other ways that we could support people in the system. We could make the system work better for people. Uh, we can encourage uh, prosecutors and judges and lawyers to you know, work better with self-represented litigants. Um, and change a variety of things so that we give those individuals support to represent themselves. I mean, it's really a two-tiered system, right? I mean, if you've got the means, if you've got the money, it doesn't, all those areas that you just talked about, it's going to be a completely different experience than somebody who's trying to navigate, I mean, let alone getting into the courtroom and, 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 you know, sort of stating your case, um, just navigating the system is an impossibility. It's very challenging. Um, and like I said, we, we send people to law school for three years and then we expect them to do sort of an articling internship type year uh, to, to learn the skills and, and gain experience. And they get more and more um, experience as they move up as a more senior lawyer. Um, and that takes a lot of time. But we, we are expecting individuals to do all of that in the course of of months or one year in order to represent themselves. So absolutely, um, it's, it's a great challenge for them. Are we seeing, is there any progress towards trying to level that playing field? Like you say, I mean, the judges could work, but are there any official programs that have been launched or are in the works that could help in this kind of an area? Well, I mean, there are. I mean, one of the one of the challenges with access to justice broadly is that there are there may be initiatives that you know grow organically in a particular jurisdiction uh, to respond to people's needs in that jurisdiction. And I think what what we haven't been great on on the access to justice front is sharing those kind of across the country, tweaking them so that the programs will work in other jurisdictions. Um, and and really sort of sharing knowledge and sharing uh, program initiatives. The NSRLP is actually a national organization. So when we generate resources for self-reps, we, we do it with sort of a national focus in mind um, and try and make the, the information that we give to self-reps applicable regardless of their jurisdiction. But a lot of times those programs are based in you know, communities and particular courts and particular uh, groups of individuals. So they're there. Um, I think we just need to do a better job at growing them and sort of connecting mm-hmm. them up. 
Yeah, exactly. And sort of getting it a little more established and well-known. It's an interesting conversation. Jennifer, um, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time.